Hi, I'm Shelly. <laughs> you weren't ready, you liar, you. <laughs> Hi, I'm Shelly. Oh, oh, Cam, what am I going to do with you? Okay. Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. And this is Translating ADHD. Quick reminder, we now have a Discord community for our listeners. To join, visit the website translatingadhd.com. Click on the Patreon button in the upper right-hand corner. Support the show for five bucks a month, and you're in. So this week, we are going to talk about sleep. Now, before we dive into the topic, two things, Cam. You ready? Yes. Thing number one is a reminder that any time we delve into one of these more tangible topics... Our goal is not to tell you what to do or how to fix it. Our goal is to give you some things to think about and to generate awareness about so that you can do your own work to create real change. Agree with that, Cam? I do. Well said. Thank you. Thing number two is actually a funny anecdote. So sleep was fraught for me for a very long time. Most of my life, my parents used to call me lazy bones and they were both morning people. Okay. So they just mm. did not understand this child who could not get up in the mornings, who my mother would come in and wake me up and have a full conversation with me and then leave to go to work. And I would fall back asleep, wake up having missed the bus and have no recollection of ever even speaking with her because I'm such a heavy sleeper. I was speaking to her in like a dream state. I never got enough sleep. I never got sleep on any sort of regular schedule. In college, I would get zero to two hours of sleep during the week and then I would sleep all weekend to make it up. Like sleep has been fraught for me for a long time. Now, I know I've been doing better, but I didn't realize how much better until a few weeks ago when I went to visit some friends who had quarantined and therefore I could get out of the house because I'm still living with my ex-husband and spend some time away. And the day I was going to leave, it was Sunday morning. I got up and they had made tea. So I'm drinking my tea and I'm like, okay, what can I do to help you clean this place up before I leave? My friend looks at me. She also has ADHD with this look of kind of disdain. And she's like, oh, God, you're a morning person now. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, the transformation has happened. <laughs> like, who are you and why are you talking about doing do's when we just got out of bed? What is wrong with you? So it was really funny, but it is kind of true. And so that's where I think we can start is this jumping off point that for me, the transformation around sleep was recognizing the difference between well-slept Shelly and not well-slept Shelly and having enough experiences with well-slept me that I started to prioritize that because it's not that I suddenly became a morning person. It's that when I'm waking up most of the time, I have had enough sleep. And if I'm shorting myself a little bit today, I'm catching up later this week so that I'm not walking around half dead and feeling like a zombie. Listeners might be out there thinking, well, you guys already did sleep. And we did sleep, but we did it as, a, as an example around essential structures. We talked about that 
that form of essential structures in those four areas. And so this time, we, we really we want to dig deep into sleep, really give some time and energy to this. And as you said, Shelley, to look at the way we do it. I love what you just said there is to start to turn our attention to this and do your own kind of little sleep study here. Because people have been asking for it, number one. The listeners have been saying, hey, could you do something more on sleep? Number two, I'm telling you, it's, it's, it's one of those linchpins or those keystones around self-care. And I realized um, a long time ago that just if I'm not getting my sleep, and I love what you just said there, the well, well-slept Shelly, right? Well-slept well Cam. If I'm not getting it, then it doesn't matter what I do. All the other things that I'm doing, whether it's coffee, medication, exercise, strategies, if I don't have that base level of sleep, I cannot do, I can't show up in my top form and access my bandwidth and I so the way that I, what, that I can. And I think it's something that you don't recognize until you do. This is back to our ability as ADHD people to withstand. Mm, yeah. I withstood <laughs> being chronically underslept for the first 25 to 30 years of my life, possibly even more. I'm 36 right now. I'm not sure when this shift happened, but I can tell you it's pretty recent in time compared to my overall lifespan. And it's something that until I had that different experience of being better slept, I really didn't see just how much being underslept affected me. It was like a badge of honor. Yeah. Right? I think it's often a badge of honor. Like, again, it's, it's sort of like something that happens in the Navy. It, they see it. So why these warships are crashing into each other is this sleep deprivation and the, the badge of honor of like, you know, trying to be functional on less and less sleep. It's like, uh, yeah, I pulled it off. Absolutely. Um, you know, and the belief that, well, I don't need sleep. I'll sleep when I'm dead is something I used to uh, say a lot. You know, I'll, <laughs> uh, tomorrow, right? We've always talked about, last week, we talked about delaying self-advocacy. Is there like, we can, it's like, yeah, I'll sleep tomorrow. I'll sleep, as you said, I'll get through this week and I'll sleep on the weekend. Play this catch-up game. Absolutely. So. Let's talk about how our clients and our listeners can start to get to a place where they might be able to have this experience, where they might be able to experience a well-slept version of themselves so that they can then reflect on what happens when they are underslept. Yeah. Before we do that, can I rattle off a couple things? Always, Cam. You can always rattle off a couple things. So listener, I think that it's the, that, the why question, just if you're kind of really connected to that, why can't I fall asleep? Why can't I sleep? And, and to kind of give some separation to that. Um, we know that sleep is an issue for people with ADHD. And just so a couple facts here, a couple facts and also some, some factors that, that others talk about a lot. And I just want to throw those out there. And then we're going to move past that to what we're talking about. But it's like more than two thirds of individuals with ADHD struggle with sleep. Two thirds. 
And so I, and I'm, when I talk to my clients and they go see a sleep specialist, it's like, I'm always at like, well, what do they know about ADHD? And it's just like someone who's a sleep specialist out there. Oh my God, you could just do so much if you added this ADHD piece. There's such a corollary between ADHD and getting a sleep that for sleep apnea, it impacts 3% of the population, but it impacts 25% of the ADHD population. So sleep apnea. So if you're really having struggles with sleep, there's another, an area to look at is doing a sleep study, going and seeking support there. We're, we're coaches. We're not sleep specialists. That's right, Cam. We're not sleep specialists, but what we have our attention on is the ADHD impact on sleep. And it is huge to the point that many of my clients who don't otherwise have underlying sleep issues like sleep apnea have done sleep studies and gone to sleep specialists and were unsatisfied with the results because that alone was not enough to help them create change. The strategies that were being employed the ways in which they were asked to just sort of, okay, do this, do it this way and you'll be okay, was good information, but they still weren't able to bridge that gap between intention and the want to have better sleep and action there. And that's where we're going to focus today. So where should we dive in, Cam? Let's talk about some scenarios that individuals, our clients with ADHD struggle with. And so I've jotted down a couple, and it's okay if I rattle those off, Shelly? Sure. So the first thing, the most obvious one is when we get tired, as you're going into the evening and you get tired, you have less and less access to these executive functions. So fatigue impacts your ability to use your executive functions. And the main executive function that the brain does is inhibit. It's to vote no. And so it's like no to that next episode on Netflix. Like, let's, no, let's not do that. Let's go to sleep. So that ability, that's an ADHD thing. And as we get more and more tired, our ability to say no to continuing on and start that process of winding down and heading off and transitioning to sleep is compromised. So that's number one, is just as we get tired, it's harder to, I mean, it's seven o'clock and I'm tired and I crack the Ben and Jerry's. That's what I do. And I'm like, you know, all day long, I'm not going to do that. And I do. That's number one. Number two is transitions. It is a transition to transition from, you know, being active, functioning, alert, awake to this sleep state. And so transitions can be really challenging for us. That's number two. Let me rattle them off and then we'll dig back into each one. Is that okay? Sure. Okay. What you were saying earlier around sort of the value proposition is that now sleep is a priority because you value it, but before you didn't. And so when we are challenged by trying to get all these things done every single day and you come to the end of the day and you still have more things to do. And oh, you've had this extra time, right? Here's more time into the evening. And often that time is sort of like, it's a time when we're not being asked to show up and make a decision and pivot. 
and deliver. It's sort of like, it's this my time, it's quiet time. And there's value around that. So what we do is we put the, the my time into our margins. Well, where's that margin? Well, that can be often between 11 and 6, 11 p.m. to 6 a.m. So we swap our sleep time for this sort of personal time and that value proposition piece. And so lastly, back to the time piece, you know, we talked about this last week around when we back, when we get ourselves backed against a wall, we tend to take action. We operate pretty well around urgency. And so as we're going through our day, what's happening to our time window? It's getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And like, again, you notice this, that you get more productive listener as you're getting closer to that kind of that 10 o'clock hour or whatever, 10, 30, 11 o'clock is like, okay, here's my stopping point. And yet you're being or feeling compelled or getting more done. And you're ramping up when actually it's really time to ramp down. And a similar phenomenon, Cam, to the one that you just described of production ramping up when you should be ramping down is the even worse feeling of not having been productive that day. And so then feeling like, well, I can't go to bed until I accomplish something. So then you're just (laughs) sitting there in full on procrastination. You're not sleeping, but you're also not doing. Right. It's sort of like, and again, I've got to do something meaningful before I can call it quits today. And then we're our, our compromise, because we're tired, we can't fire those synapses. We're not getting that thing done. And so then we're in this holding pattern. I think uh, there's a term I like is circling Dallas. Right? You just kind of like, you're just circling. You ever been in that airplane? Remember when we were in airplanes, people, long ago? There's like a there's a little congestion around the airport. We're just going to circle a little bit and wait for our spot to open up. And you just circle. And that's sort of this kind of this place of circling, waiting, you know, hoping that I can pull something off and then like, you know, get a check mark in my day. So then I can say it was okay. And I can call it quits. Absolutely. And then it becomes this cycle because now whether or not you eventually force yourself to do some do, you are starting your next day underslept. And here comes this repeating cycle. There's one more thing I want to add here, Cam, and that is waking up. Waking up is not hard for all of my clients, but for those who struggle with it, whether or not they've had enough sleep, just that being able to hear the alarm, the not hitting snooze without realizing it and then falling back asleep and therefore being late to work. For my clients who struggle with that, that is almost a separate issue, but it's a massive one because I have that on board where I am a heavy sleeper. I can have a conversation with you if I've asked you to help wake me up and go right back to sleep. And so that is an entirely separate set of challenges that I've had to figure out for myself. And so for my clients who have that on board, that really deep struggle to wake up on time, I tend to treat them as two separate topics. And we go with which one has our attention first. You know, if my client is routinely late to work, let's see if we can't solve that 
and get something going there. And then we can come back and work on getting enough sleep. But you're already not getting enough sleep. So let's tackle one challenge at a time here. Right. And I think that what can be very helpful is to start your own little sleep study. You know, and this, this is back to our process of understand, own, translate. What is the minimum number of hours that you need? No kidding. That you're able to function. And it's like when you, when you drop those hours down, when the executive function really starts to take a nosedive, that's the thing that we want you to start with. Because yes, it's about transitioning to sleep. It's falling asleep. It's getting up. And then there's the whole middle of the night because you're a heavy sleeper, but I have clients who are light sleepers and they wake up and then they're up at two o'clock in the morning. They can't go back to sleep. And I want to talk a little bit about that today too. But yes, it's sort of like, it's a, it's a big area. But to start with like, okay, what is the number of hours? Start there. Then you can start to kind of move it around of going to sleep earlier to get up earlier. But just starting with getting those hours and seeing what's the minimum amount that you can get. For me, Shelly, you know, it's, for me, it's like eight and a half. And if I'm not getting eight and a half, I mean, and, and even I'll just even dare say nine. Wow, Cam. It's, it's, Aren't you yeah. supposed to need less sleep as you get older? What happened? Yes, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm getting younger. Maybe I'm getting younger. Shall you know we? what? That's got to be it. It's it got to be, be it. It could be. You know, and it's sort of like, oh, I should. And again, you go into the woulda, shoulda, coulda, like, oh, well, I should be able to get, you know, six hours or function on six or seven. My wife functions on less sleep than I do. And it's sort of like this kind of like, ah, you know, the shame, the kind of embarrassment. It's like, eh, you know what? It just is what it is. It's this sort of scientific thing that uh, it, it is a constant. And when I don't honor that constant, I pay for it. This is cause and effect. This is the Mount Rainier and the lunch counter. If I'm not functioning well, the first place I look is, okay, am I getting my sleep? So for me, Cam, it's somewhere between six and eight. And I can't do too many sixes in a row. But my week is also kind of scheduled so that that doesn't happen. I take clients later in the day on Mondays and Tuesdays. And I sleep in on Monday and Tuesday. Recording this podcast with you on Monday morning at 10 a.m. Central is the first thing I do on Monday morning. Okay. And I want to share that for a really important reason. This is something a client said to me the other day that really made a lot of sense. We were grappling with sleep, as we do with many of our clients. And we started having the conversation of how much sleep, because his schedule, like mine, like yours, is flexible and adaptable. What he realized was all of the guilt and shame around when he should sleep, when society says you ought to sleep the value judgment that values early birds over night owls was really messing with him because he kept coming at the sleep topic of a, I want to be up by X time. In this session, he realized I can let go of that. Who says I need to be up by X time? I don't have to be up by any time. I just need to start getting enough sleep. And it was really quite a transformational conversation on that topic. It really shifted his perspective because he realized that he didn't value getting up by a certain time at all. He thought he did. But he realized that he was letting the values of others or society as a whole inform what he thought he believed about sleep. 
Well, I mean, what we do is we're doing this external sampling. What we do is compare and this sort of like, uh, oh, you know, what is what are the cultural norms? What are the societal norms? Get up, early bird gets the worm, blah, blah, blah. You know, I get up early because I know I basically suck after six o'clock at night. I mean, I just, you know, I used to work with clients. I teach a couple classes at night, but those classes, it's not going to be a new one. I do it because it's convenient for folks. But I tell people, like, if they want to work in the evening or if I'm going to meet with someone in the evening, it's like, listen, you're not going to get my best self. That I know that my shop closes at six o'clock and it's pretty consistent. So then, if I know that it closes at six, and yeah, I'm still there and, and being a dad and functioning in the evening, but I'm not doing any kind of like heavy lifting cognitively into the evening that I want to get up and get going because I know my shop closes at six. So I'm up you know, this morning. I didn't have great sleep last night, but I got up and you know, made the coffee, fed the chickens, took the dog for a walk, and then I'm back and ready to go. And typically, I'm ready to go at 8.30 every day, some days even a little bit sooner than that. So it's, it's really you know, understanding what works for you. What works for you? Oh, and you know, back to last week around translating and advocating for yourself is, that's another thing is, if you have a partner who likes to stay up later, that's an environment that isn't conducive to winding down and going to sleep. And so, again, articulating those needs to someone else. Absolutely, Cam. And it is 100% what works for you. And the difference in your and my sleep schedule kind of points that out because I'm flexible. I don't need to go to bed at the same time or wake up at the same time so long as I'm getting similar sleep. And by sleeping in on Mondays and Tuesdays, I'm better for my evening clients than I would be otherwise. Now, I will say that I'm still not at my best. I definitely have that on board. I tell my evening clients, especially the last one of the day, my 5.30 to 6.30 clients, that you still are going to get the big C coach, but I'm going to miss some words. I'm going to say some things sillily. I'm going to forget words. That's going to happen. And it's okay. And I, like you, don't think I could coach any later than that effectively. But as far as sleep goes, I don't need to be up at a consistent time every day. And in fact, I very much look forward to my sleep-in days on Monday and Tuesday because something I always enjoyed even when I didn't value sleep was the ability to sleep in. And so that's a way for me to practice self-care those two days that works for my schedule, that isn't disruptive in any way, and that preserves my weekends because I don't do that on the weekend. I do it on Monday and Tuesday. I just shift my whole working day a few hours later and it works for me. And I'm unapologetic about it. And there is a time that I would have been ashamed. Oh, I got up at 9 a.m. this morning. Don't look at me. I'm not a real adult. Not anymore. The, um, the other thing I'm, I'm just reminded of is back to, I, you brought this up in a, in a previous podcast from our own coaching, was this, again, the morning routine and let it be easy and start clean. What does that mean? It's just a simple process for transitioning into your day. Because we can often get up. I get up and it's sort of like immediately, boom. You know, it's like the weight of the day and what to do and, and how to prioritize. It's like that immediacy of the day. So this sort of starting to look at 
what are the hours you need for effective sleep to be well slept? But Shelly and Cam, we know this, and you can find this out too. What is a conducive and what is the environment that's conducive for starting to wind things down? I think another thing we do is we're kind of we'll fight through these natural fatigue moments in the evening and we'll muscle through. When in fact your body is giving you signals, hey, you know, it's time. And we can kind of like muscle through, like, like oh, I gotta fight through, you know, I gotta keep going. It's like to honor that. Back to the plane metaphor is that, you know, when you're on a plane, you notice that the, the engine's pitch change at about 45 minutes out from the destination because you're at 35,000 feet. You can't just go from 35,000 and then put this thing on the ground. So sleep is very similar, I find. I have to sort of start this kind of like, initial descent. Like, what am I going to do? So not electronics, getting off my phone, listening to my wife. She's like, Hey dude, you know, put your phone down. I'm like, ah, yeah, good. A book, you know, for me is that sort of like helps me transition and kind of to think about what is that, that, that allows me to start that descent and then get into that descent and really bring it down. And, and I, I've learned to do that over a period of time because Again, like, like you, I'd sort of fight through and kind of just, it's almost like this kind of, it was just like, I'm just going to keep going in this sort of drifting along and to what end? And this was before Netflix. This is before 24-7 entertainment. I can't imagine what it's like now. In college, what I did was basically stayed up until the snow. I don't know if people remember that. The TV went to snow after the American flag or, you know, wherever you live, we're that all over the world. never happened in my entire lifetime. I know. <laughs> I know. Yeah. It wasn't that long ago. It wasn't that long ago. But I mean, I, I was like, again, it was like, I would wait, you know, sort of, again, waiting for something to happen and kind of coast in, sort of like, and then just get annihilated the next day. I kind of want to counterbalance this a little bit because I do think this is where value judgments can also get us into trouble. There is a middle ground between technology or Netflix being this endless thing that keeps us awake when we are in bed and using it as a way to transition. I have a TV in my bedroom, which every sleep expert ever would say is not a good thing to do. But I am a person who can watch an episode or two and be done. And I am also a person, if I am tired enough, it doesn't matter how into a show or how compelling it is for me, I am, I will fall asleep. And so that works for me. I understand that it doesn't work for everyone. And I understand that the science doesn't support it, but it works for me. And I don't feel bad about that, except for the fact that I always have to the next night figure out where in the hell I fell asleep which is a lot of (laughs) what episode was it and then where in the episode without spoiling myself. So that's a little annoying. But on the nights that I choose to watch TV as part of my wind down routine, and it's not every night. Usually I'm building in an hour or two earlier of a bedtime if I'm going to watch TV. But if I'm going to bed right on time, I usually do look at my phone. I have a couple of things that I do on my phone, but again, 
I know when it's time to set my phone down and I am aware when that behavior is transitional behavior and when it's sleep procrastination Mm. behavior because those are different. That's a nice distinction there. Sleep procrastination behavior. And and I'll I'll just counter back with that or, or to, I don't want listeners to think that I am just a vanilla guy that, you know, just does this. Like last night we watched the Umbrella Academy, you know, till 1130 at night, my wife, my kid and I, and then turned it off and I went to sleep. I didn't have any problem going to sleep. Yeah. So it's not necessarily hard and fast, but I do know what works and what tends to work. And I think that's sort of the opportunity here. I I don't think we're done necessarily with sleep because I've got a whole nother page around like worry and anxiety or like uh, manic research, you know, that when when we wake up at two o'clock in the morning and we can't make that call, but we're thinking about it. So that rumination or kind of, you know, again, manic research that can happen at two o'clock in the morning, that's a whole nother thing that I, we've yet to even crack. I agree with you, Cam. This is a definitely a part one. But what we've given you, listener, is a starting place, which is how many hours of sleep do I need? And then some other things that we see in ourselves and our clients that are caused by ADHD that you can start to build awareness around. Where do you struggle? Which of these struggles represents you? And can you start to become aware of that in the moment? The big one being that when my body is fatigued, because I think for me, learning to listen to that signal was not only transformative, now I almost can't not listen to it. I used to be amazed by people that are like in the middle of a social event or whatever. Cam, you and I go to a lot of industry conferences that would be like, okay, I'm tired. I'm going to bed now. Goodbye. Like, (laughs) what? There's still a party going on. Who are you? Like, who is this alien person? And now I find myself being that person. I find myself knowing what my limits are. And in the era of COVID, that's often with gaming, knowing what my limits are and telling friends, okay, after this X thing, I'm going to bed because I am now tired and I'm choosing not to push through that. So it's an interesting phenomenon that like, the more I learn to listen to that, the less I'm able to ignore it. Do you find that to be true for yourself too, Cam? Absolutely. You know, I think that back in the day, and I think that that's sort of, with ADHD, we can kind of have this almost like this, this head-body disassociation, this separation of we're so in our head that we're not connected to our body and really listening to the body and what the body's trying to tell us because we're so in our thoughts, right? Or so into the future or thinking about the, the mess up I did in the past and, you know, so cognitive and cerebral, we're not really paying attention to what the body's trying to tell us. Absolutely. I think that that's spot on. And I've had so many clients who, this is almost a topic unto itself, who, when they start to notice those physical manifestations of behaviors that aren't serving them, suddenly it becomes much easier to create change because now they're able to tune into that. So I think we should bookmark that for a future time. But next week, we'll be back to talk more on the topic of sleep because I've got a lot more to say as well. It's a huge topic. So listener, this week, start with how many hours do you need? Look at the other things we talked about and start to generate awareness. What is true for you? And what does that mean? Well said. 
All right. So we'll see you guys next week for more on sleep. Oh. Yeah. Until then, I'm Shelly. And I'm Cam. This is translating ADHD. Thanks for listening. Didn't really work at like uh, 11 o'clock in the morning. Hey, now I thought I was pulling it off. <laughs> it was pretty good. All right. Good. See you, folks. See you next week.